Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it, uh, physical copy, electronic copy, um, on a phone or a tablet or something. Um, we're in Luke chapter 14, the, verse, or the, cha- or the passage that was just read, Luke chapter 14, and um, we read the first verse as kind of the setting, and then we skip down to verses 7 through 14 is what we'll be looking at. So Luke, 1, uh, Luke 14, verses 7 through 14. So let's jump in. Um, in. In the beginning of this passage, we have a kind of a setting, a scene setting verse happen. Okay, so let's look at verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Okay, so we're at the house of, of a ruler of the Pharisees. They're dining. There's a meal going on, and they're kind of, they're watching Jesus. They're trying to catch him, and this happens all throughout the Gospels over and over again. They're trying to catch Jesus in some sort of social impropriety, some sort of uh, teaching that they take issue with. Um, they are watching him. If you skip down to verse 7, it says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Chose the places of honor. That's an interesting phrase, right? The places of honor. Because we don't, if you go to eat at someone's house, you don't really, there, there might be like better places to sit or not based on like where the, the air register is or whatever. But the places of honor, we don't really use that language anymore. So we'll talk about that. And then if you, if you skip down again to verse um, 12, it says, um, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. What's well, kind of weird. It's like there's this idea of, of they're expecting repayment. What, what is going on there? So there's some different social conventions, some different things that we've got to kind of dig into. It's all, it's, it, we call it background, but it's actually in the text. It's like it's assumed that the readers would understand what's going on, but we're so far removed, it, it helps us to kind of get there so then we can get all the undercurrents and the nuance of what's happening, right? So let's talk about this. Um, first, Jesus is sitting at a table with incredibly powerful uh, people in the city of Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, and uh, a ruler of the Pharisees would have been like, I mean, this would have been like going down to like park, the Park Cities area, uh, uh, Preston Hollow to be in a really, really big house, or maybe up here out in the country, a really big house, and all these powerful people are together. You know, park Preston Hollow, like he might be a neighbor to like George Bush or Mark Cuban or like someone who is like somebody who's somebody, right, in culture, right? You and I, we're just people. We're normal. Uh, but these people are like, Millions and millions and millions of people know their name. Um, these are the ruler of the Pharisees. This is like big stuff. He is surrounded by, I mean, imagine if you're at a dinner with like real estate tycoons, uh, premier doctors, lawyers, people who just are well-known. This is who's who of, of Jerusalem. That's who Jesus is with. This is a high, a ruler of the Pharisees. This is a, a high uh, a class gathering, okay? So as a corollary of that then, um, where you sit amongst people like this is really, really important. Um, if you'll pull up that first uh, image that we have, um, this, is a, this is not in Jerusalem. This was, uh, I think it's in the city of Pompeii, but this is reclining at table. This is one example of reclining at table. You might see that terminology in scripture. They didn't sit at a table like we do with chairs. They had these, these it, sometimes it was like this. with a cu- They didn't just do right on the stone, by the way. They had like cushions. And I think they probably swept before people came over. It's been a while. Stuff's starting to kind of fall apart. Um, the, the welded gate is modern, obviously. Um, but there, there's a table in the middle, and you can see where servants could come and bring kind of like family style, right? And they're laid, they're kind of laid at an angle, 
um, if you do the next image, they're kind of laid at an angle to the table. And so uh, if you remember in the Last Supper, Jesus is, is like reclining on the bosom of Jesus. It's like you're reclined. The person next to you in front of you is, is like right here. And so they're kind of like in your business. And then you're kind of in the business of the person behind you. This is like a, this is a really kind of intimate setting. You're like laying down next to each other at a table eating. This is a really uh, intense personal uh, communal experience. And so you're not going to just, like the person who hasn't bathed, like if, if you're a f- rule of the Pharisees, you probably get to bathe. You probably get like perfumes, like things are okay. Like you're not going to invite the person who hasn't bathed in two weeks to sit right in front of you while you're trying to eat some hummus with pita. Right? So they're, they're being really, this is, an, uh, this is like, I come in and then not only is this a really close, uh, tight-knit thing going on where you're, you're only going to uh, invite the people that you really want to be around or that you want to be seen with, but also there are positions of honor even within the seating arrangement. And you've got this, the low couch, you've got this high couch, the middle couch, um, different, if you look up different scholars or different paradigms, it, it could be arranged in different ways, but throughout the ancient Roman world, this was kind of the norm that you had a position where the host sat or the position of honor and the host would be right next to them. And then you didn't just sit or lay beside someone. You either, you either laid below someone or above someone. Like in, in the Bible, and we'll read it in this passage here and in some of the other literature, they talk about being seated below someone, not next to someone, because it was seen as a ranking system as you were sat around the table. Make sense? So we, you know, this isn't like going to grandma's house and it's like everyone stands behind the chairs and you're all arguing about who sits where. Like, I haven't seen them for a long time. I want to sit there, but you need to be by your kids. And that, that kind of gets, it's not that. It's, it's, there's incredible social pressure around where we people sit. So this is, this is at play. That's understood. Okay, a second corollary of these banquets is that these were opportunities to put others in your debt. These were opportunities to put other in your debt and to expect repayment. If you invited someone to your house, the expectation, the social expectation, is this this ethic of reciprocity. If you invite me, well, then I have to invite you to my next thing. And if you don't, it's seen as a snub. It's actually, it's not real hospitality. It's actually entertaining with the expectation of repayment, which is where Jesus' teaching comes from. He's saying, don't do that, don't do that. Um, so, so this can have significant impact on your way of life. Like if you're a Roman or a Jewish person at this time, who you invite to your house to entertain can have an impact on your future well-being. You can actually politic and connive and, and kind of scheme and say, okay, I'm going to invite that person and I'm going to invite that person to be at my table because they're, they, they might be a little bit, of, they might decline me, but if they come, ooh, that'd be a big win for me because then they'd have to invite me to their house and then I'd get to network with that, that group of people. And you can start to climb. And this way of relating to other people is actually transactional. It becomes motivated by self-interest. It becomes motivated by, by getting ahead in the world. This is, and this was not like a secret. This is the way it was, and it was the accepted ethic of the time. And this is what Jesus is walking into and calling into question. Does that make sense? It's in this context that Jesus comes and turns it upside down, and he turns it inside out, and he calls to a different way of being. Uh, I had a last. I was telling Brian this before the service. Last night I had a three point, three point sermon written. It's now one point. This is how I know I'm growing as a preacher. 
I did, a, I did a page break. I told him I did a page break after the first point, and over the second two points, I titled Future Sermon Ideas. Because <laughs> that's how, it, like, there's so much here. But So we're going to talk about just the first section of this passage, verses 7 to 11. And here's the, here's the main point. This is it. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes us humble recipients of grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes us humble recipients of grace. Humble recipients, recipients of grace. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, pause. Okay, so I find this to be comical. Um, the irony of this verse is that Jesus shows up to a dinner um, and he's being watched by the Pharisees present to see if he does anything faux pas. So they're watching him closely, it says. And then as, as he's watching them, they're actually acting like middle schoolers and trying to choose, <laughs> the, sorry, middle schoolers. He's acting like a child and he is trying to choose the, uh, or they're trying to choose that they're like, oh no, I'm in front of you in line. Like, I want to get to the water fountain first, right? Like, they're, 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 they're vying for position. And he's like, what are you, this is lame. What are you guys doing? You're acting like children. Like, let me, let me give you an example. Like, when you go to a wedding banquet, he starts to give this example. So I, I think that's comical. So um, he sees them jockeying for the best spots. And he says this in verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, for instance, Do not sit down in a place of honor or um, literally recline in the first reclining spot, the, the foremost reclining spot. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited. So like, let's say you're early, you're like, ooh, I'm the best person here. I'm going to sit down. And someone else shows you, really? He showed up. They showed up. She showed up. I've got to move. And he who invited you both in verse 9 will come and say to you, uh, give this place. It's, it's funny, in Greek, it says, it says it really quickly. Give this place. You have to give this place up. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So this teaching from Jesus is really simple. It's not complicated. Uh, don't try to take on yourself the more honorable position, right? Don't try to vie uh, for the, uh, the position of honor. Uh, for the pr- and don't try to vie for the position of pride. Um, when we do that, it actually leads the soul downward. And it's practically unwise. Jesus is telling us. It's practically unwise because what if someone shows up and you've got to move down? You kind of have to hedge your bets, he's saying. Um, we're going to have a, uh, an, a future-oriented, non-practical interpretation of this in a little bit. But right now, it's actually just good practical advice, isn't it? And wise to just, hey, don't do that. Don't be arrogant because then you might get humbled. Pride becomes, comes before the fall. Well, uh, why then is, um, well, I, I like this you might begin with shame to take the last place. So like, have you guys ever been publicly humiliated? Maybe. Some of you. Like even as a kid, you think about like, I remember um, this one time this kid pranked me in the middle of my class. Um, I won't go into details, but he, he pranked me and humiliated me. And I was like four, maybe. And this is still in my brain. And they're all standing around and ha and it's just like, ah, it's in my brain. Like, you're never going to forget that, you know? And these, that, like that, that feeling of public humiliation, that's, that's what could happen, especially in this context, if you try to vie for that seat. So what does the host do when he shows up? Excuse me, go back to verse 10. 
So in, ca- in contrast for vying for glory, in contrast to vying for glory and vying for the most honorable spot, what does Jesus teach us to do? Look at verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place first. Go and sit in the lowest place. Recline in or, or the last place. In order that when your host comes, the one who invited you, he will say to you, friend, move up higher, rise up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. You see, the opposite of the worldly way is taught by Jesus to actually choose the last seat. And what was the shameful move, you see, the context matters. It was shameful to be told, go to the last seat. Why would you then choose for yourself the shameful move to start? Because of what happens when the host shows up, right? Context matters. If you choose for yourself the lowest spot when the host shows up, the one who actually has authority and power to designate the honor in that room can then say, rise up higher. Rise up higher. Friend. See how he refers to him? Friend. Rise up, not give your spot. Friend, rise up higher. I love that. I mean, you're coming into a place like, why would you come into a place and say, hey, everyone here, I'm the lowest person in the room. That's what you're saying with your actions when you go to the last seat. I'm the lowest person in this room. I'm the least honorable one here. You're all more important than me right now. You all are worthy of more dignity and honor than me right now. You all have, your interests are more important than my interests right now. That's what you're signaling when you choose the last seat in this parable. And why would that be the wise move? Again, because of what the host does when he shows up. That's what the host does to the person who has humbled themselves when they show up. This is wise and prudential advice from Jesus, right? Like how this plays out is really good for you. But also this last verse, uh, verse 11, signals to us there's more going on here than just wisdom for how to, be avoid, to, how to avoid the, uh, the shame of the situation. Look what it says in verse 11. For because the theological principle here, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. One church father says, uh, it's obvious this verse doesn't refer to the present moment. Uh, We see people who seek fame and worldly honor and they get it, don't they? By maybe wicked means even. Sometimes honest means, sometimes dishonest means, but there are people who vie for honor and position and they actually get it. And there are people who humble themselves who never receive honor and recognition. People who do unrecognized virtuous deeds every day and never get the recognition in this world. So this one church father says, I believe it was Cyril of Alexandria, who says um, that this is something that refers to a future kingdom reality. Ultimately refers to a future kingdom reality that we've got to kind of get down into and think about. Now, as a rule of thumb, it can help. Like, by the way, if you want to live a wise life, be humble because of what could happen. If you try to try to be more than you are, you try to, to gain for yourself the honor and the recognition and then you're humble, that, that could go poorly, right? you know. But that doesn't always work out. The ultimate promise of being exalted if you are humble comes at the end. This 
is a reference to the exaltation and the honor given by God at the last day. He shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. That, what we just sang, that day, when we'll be exalted. Friend, Jesus will say, he'll come back. You'll be, your body will be in the ground or somewhere, and he'll say, friend, rise up higher, and he'll put your body back together. And your soul and your body will be reunited again. And you'll, be, you'll rise from the dead. And you'll rise to reign with Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth in the kingdom. He will say, friend, rise up higher. If you humble yourself before Jesus now, he will exalt you in the last day. That's the promise. But I kind of want to dive deeper into this idea of humility. Um, humility for the Christian comes from three things. Humility for the Christian comes from three things. First, um, humility is simply an honest and rational view of who we are as creatures, isn't it? Um, we're created. Is anyone here planning on living forever in their current body and not dying? Is anyone here planning on taking everything with them when they die? Is anyone, you know, like, we ha- we're limited, right? Like, we, we have a certain number of years, and, and anything that we try to gain, anything that we try to earn, like, when we die, it's, it, it goes to someone else. It's gone. It vanishes. The Bible talks about um, uh, human life is a vapor in view of eternity. That can be really discouraging if we think that we're gods, many gods, but it's actually really helpful and sobering and helps us live wisely and properly if we have a proper view of who we are. We're created. Like, we don't control the weather. We don't control whether we get sick or not. We don't get, like, there, there are so many things outside of our control. Like, it's simply just a, an accurate and humble view of ourselves as creatures to be humble. It is God and God alone, uncreated, who dwells in unapproachable light, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who himself is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And we don't get to arrogate to ourselves that kind of honor. It's him alone. Romans 12.3 says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Pretty simple. So it's an accurate view of who we are as humans. But second, looking then Godward, Humility comes from the character of Jesus Christ himself. Paul writes in Philippians, if you want to flip there, you can. We're we're, um, done in Luke. In the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, it's a really famous passage. Um, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, if you scroll Instagram or you listen to the news or if you go to YouTube or whatever and, and you read or you go to the self-help section at the bookstore, it will say the opposite. It will say the opposite. You are first. You are number one. I'm not saying totally neglect yourself and take, don't take care of yourself, obviously. But G, Paul is telling us through the Holy Spirit can count others more significant than yourselves. Does that sound like what Jesus just taught? It lines up, doesn't it? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So of course you have interests. Of course you gotta take care of your home, your family, your finances, like your job, right? You have responsibilities given by God, but they are not all that makes up life. We're in a community. We're in people around, like our own families, our friends, the people around us, our neighbors who need Jesus Christ, count their needs. And then 
Why? Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, here's the example, though he was in the form of God, did not account uh, equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God, Jesus is, is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity, fully God. And when he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit and was made man, became fully man. We can never understand the, the, the depths, the, the gap. I mean, it's an infinite gap between cre- creation or between creator and created. That Jesus humbled himself to be born of a virgin, to be taken on the form of man. This is God who said, let there be. He's the one who says, okay, ocean, stop. You go in the ocean, I mean, you're like, you got no power. Right? He says, stop. But then he says, born within a cattle stall. I love that line in the, in the hymn, the, the Christmas hymn. Born within a cattle stall. That's stinky. And there he was, humble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, vain, or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Um, we do this because it's the character of Jesus Christ, which he demonstrated in the incarnation. And Philippians tells us, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This Roman instrument of dehumanization, depersonalization, and torture. God in the flesh humbled himself all the way down. So it's simply, from a, from a human standpoint, humility is just an accurate view of who we are. From a, from a divine standpoint, it's, a, it's a, 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 an imitation of, of Christ's own character and, and example when he became man and when he went to the cross. But thirdly, the good news, the gospel. The gospel leads us to humility. Um, baptism and the table, Holy Communion, these are the signs of the gospel. These are the sacraments of the gospel that we practice, that we observe. And have you ever noticed no one baptizes themselves? Interesting, right? Uh, you can't baptize yourself. You can't, you know, cannonball off the cliff and like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit! You know, and like just as, as uh, epic of a baptism. You can't do it. Like the church baptizes you. Why? We come, it's, the gospel is good news. The good news that Jesus saves you it's not good news because he just makes you better than you were before. He just kind of upgrades you. You like Pokemon, you just like evolve a little bit. We, we sometimes, we have this view of salvation. Like I'm here, and then with Jesus, I evolve a little bit. And like the, the spiritual version of like, I've worked out for a year and eaten keto, and I've done like, what, like there's just some sort of like moral improvement. That's not, that's not the extent of the good news. Like There is moral improvement when we follow Jesus, but what's the good news? The good news is that we were dead. We were dead, and he made us alive. Like We had nothing to bring to the table. We had no power, and he makes us alive. Now, we're good his, as his creation. We're made in his image. He loves us. We have value to God, but but we come in sin bringing no ability, no, no uh, 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 spiritual, like when God, Jesus invites us, we can't pay him back. It's good news because he resurrects us from the dead spiritually. We were careening for hell. 
an eternity away from God, and he turned us around. There used to be, last week we talked about the narrow door. There used to be a wall. There used to be a wall. And Christ created the door. Christ is the door. Where there was separation, he made a way. That's why it's good news. It's good news. When this is your story, when, when, you, when we realize that we bring nothing, God doesn't need anything in and of himself. He's all sufficient. He doesn't need creation. He actually creates out of the overflow of who he is, out of his love and, and grace. He saves out of the overflow of his love and grace. And he's giving that to you and to me. When we realize that, when that's our identity, we don't have to vie for position or power anymore. We don't have to, apart from Jesus, if you just think life in completely natural terms, of course it makes sense. Of course it makes sense that we would try to get more for ourselves, that we would have to vie for position and a better standing in school or in, in sports or in, in our jobs and careers with, with dating partners, with whatever. Like we, we feel like there's no deeper anchor there, so of course we have to try and vie and take it, take, uh, it into our own hands. We have to convince everyone else around us that we're worthy of their time and attention and that we deserve a piece of the pie. It's an exhausting and, and anxiety-inducing way to live. It's, it's anti-human. It's actually not the way that we were made. But going back to the sacraments, look at, look at the Eucharist. Look at, look at Holy Communion, what happens, what's imaged here. Every week we come humbly and we, we give the, the instruction to come with your, with your hands cupped, open, ready to receive. We don't grab, we receive. We don't grasp for what is given to us. It's gift. Like, what business do we have coming to the table of the Lord? What business do we have coming and expecting God to give something to us? We can't expect anything else. He doesn't owe us anything. No, he gives it to us because he loves us. He gives it to us because he's gracious. And so we receive thankfully. And if this table was like the Pharisee's table, you would owe some, God something back. Or you'd have to jockey for a higher seat. But at this table, there's Lord, and then there's everyone else. And we're all equal at the table of the Lord. And at this table, when you're welcomed, it's pure gift. You don't owe God anything back. You can't pay him what he deserves. He invites us to the table freely, and there's nothing that we can do to change that. It's incredibly good news. So when we make ourselves lowly, when we humble ourselves and come with nothing to Christ, he says to us, friend, rise up higher. Friend, rise up higher. To acknowledge our status before God is to become like a child and to become poor to become humble. In a word, it means to become like Christ because Christ himself became humble. The invitation then is to become poor before God, to become humble before God so that we might receive the exchange of status that God offers in Christ. Father, I ask that you would give us humble hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your blessing and your benediction, and your grace.